Hello and welcome back to Verse and Verse. Last episode we gave a plot overview and explored music in Regency England. If you missed it, you might want to go back and listen to that first. Jane Austen's literary style is characterised by her wit and use of irony, and also by her social observation and keen insights into human nature. Austen's works are grounded in realism, offering detailed descriptions of characters and social norms and relationships, but not so much of setting. She often pokes fun at social conventions and the behaviour of her characters by subtly revealing their flaws and quirks. She was also one of the first novelists to make use of free indirect discourse, a writing style where the third-person narrator sometimes takes on the thoughts and feelings of the characters. This narrative method provides readers with an intimate perspective on her characters' inner lives and motivations, while also maintaining a degree of authorial distance. Austen's prose is precise and polished, and when reading it feels like not a word is wasted. However, her writing is not particularly sensory. It's rare that we get luscious visual or auditory descriptions, and specific music is mentioned little in her writing. In fact, in all of Jane Austen's novels, only one piece of music is mentioned by name, the Irish song Robin Adair, which is played by Jane Fairfax in Emma. It may seem strange, therefore, that we are spending this whole episode discussing music within the text of Pride and Prejudice. However, the novel does include several conversations or speeches on the topic of music, and the narrative also contrasts characters by comparing their style of performance. These seem to serve the purpose of illuminating personality traits and social dynamics between the characters. It's these instances I want to examine further today. I'm Florence Wood and this is The Sound of Pride and Prejudice by Verse and Verse. occur in chapter 6 of Pride and Prejudice. The Bennets are at a social gathering at the home of the Lucases. Also in attendance are the Bingleys and Mr Darcy. Here the narrator gives an insight into the characters of Elizabeth and Mary Bennet through comparison of their music making. Charlotte is encouraging Elizabeth to perform for the party and Elizabeth replies, if my vanity had taken a musical turn you would have been invaluable. She tries to refuse to play saying that the present company must be in the habit of hearing the very best performers. This seems to demonstrate her self-awareness and wit on a few levels by revealing that her vanity is not grounded in music making she's playfully acknowledging that like most people she does possess a degree of vanity. She's also admitting that her musical talents are less than stellar seemingly without showing insecurity. Elizabeth understands that her skills are not exceptional and she's able to accept this without feeling threatened. By using the word vanity she implies that she does not place undue importance on her musical abilities, suggesting that she values her other qualities more highly. We also see her trying to preemptively dissuade people from criticising her performance by saying, keep your breath to cool your porridge and I shall keep mine to swell my song. In this passage Elizabeth also seems to be separating herself from those who take their own musical talents too seriously. Indeed, this statement may seem especially significant here, as shortly after we learn that Mary Bennett's vanity most decidedly does take a musical turn. Mary is described as having worked hard for knowledge and accomplishment, being always eager for display. She is described quite tragically as having neither genius or taste, and though vanity had given her application, it had given her likewise a pedantic air and a conceited manner. 
Mary is also described here as being glad to purchase praise and gratitude by playing Scotch and Irish airs. Reading this time, I felt there was something almost callous in the narrator's description of Mary here. In an essay for The Guardian discussing fan-written Mary Bennett sequels, Charlotte Jones comments on Austen's treatment of her cilia minor characters. Jones comments that the singularity of Elizabeth Bennet, the reason she is so often featured in lists of our favourite literary characters, relies solely on the relief cast by her dull sisters. She goes on to say that even beautiful Jane is a bit insipid, and that Lizzie is given space for a remarkable interior life because her sisters are not. She compares Austen's treatment of characters to that of George Eliot, who is far more concerned with sympathising with minor characters. Jones goes on to say, Austen isn't Eliot though. If she were, we might find out why Mr. Collins is as paradoxically pompous and servile as he is, instead of just accepting it and chortling along. Of course, much of Jane Austen's appeal comes from her biting mockery of her characters, which is also used to throw their heroine into relief. But to me, there's just something rather gut-wrenching about the wording, purchase, praise and gratitude. Scholars have estimated that Mary Bennett is probably 17 or 18 at the time the novel is set, and the wish to purchase praise and gratitude honestly just speaks to me of adolescent in security, particularly within the dynamic of a large family. We know that within the Bennet family, Mrs. Bennet seems to favour Lydia and Kitty for their liveliness and Jane for her beauty, and Elizabeth is Mr. Bennet's favourite. He even describes the three youngest sisters as three very silly girls. Particular friendship is also evident between Elizabeth and Jane and Lydia and Kitty, while Mary seems to often be left on her own. She's also described as being the only plain Bennet sister. So in my way of thinking, who can really blame her for seeking validation through musical pursuits? This has been a bit of a tangent, but reading through the lens of music this time really had me relating to and empathising with Mary, which is something that I had never particularly felt in previous read-throughs, because everyone wants to think they're like Elizabeth, don't they? But my own teenage years aren't that far behind me. I have two older brothers who are both incidentally excellent at what they do, and in my own adolescence I placed a lot of importance upon my own development as a musician. A good deal of this was of course because I love to play the clarinet, but a large amount of it was probably also out of the vanity of not wanting to be the only sibling who didn't have a thing. Being an insecure teenager who wasn't always the best socially, I can look back now and say that in many ways I, like Mary, used music and academic achievements to purchase praise, as silly as it might sound. Getting back to this passage of text in chapter 6, we're told that Elizabeth, easy and unaffected, had been listened to with much more pleasure than Mary, though not playing half so well. We're also told that her performance was pleasing but by no means capital. This passage emphasises the value of genuine musicality and character over superficial displays of skill. Elizabeth's easy and unaffected performance is enjoyed more than Mary's, even though Mary is technically the better performer. This suggests that Austen values sincerity and genuine enjoyment in one's pursuits rather than performing just for the sake of impressing others. This goes against the box tick style of lists that Miss Bingley gives in 
chapter 8 when describing female accomplishments. So let's get on to the discussions of music that occur during Elizabeth's stay at Netherfield. As I just mentioned, a discussion of female accomplishment occurs between Mr and Miss Bingley, Mr Darcy and Elizabeth during chapter 8. Miss Bingley is complimenting Darcy's sister, saying that her performance on the pianoforte is exquisite. Bingley then comments that all young ladies are accomplished, and it's amazing to him. Darcy remarks that he cannot boast of knowing more than half a dozen ladies that are really accomplished. And this is when we hear Miss Bingley's checklist-like description for what makes a truly accomplished woman. A woman must have a thorough knowledge of music, singing, drawing, dancing, and the modern languages to deserve the word. And besides all this, she must possess a certain something in her air, manner of walking, the tone of her voice, her address and expressions or the word will be but half deserved. In this passage, we see music reduced down to just one, albeit the first, of many requirements for marriage-age young women in the Regency period. This quote also highlights the social expectations placed on young women in this era. Women were often encouraged to cultivate their musical abilities to make them more accomplished and desirable in social settings. Elizabeth's rebuttal, I am no longer surprised at your knowing only six accomplished women, I rather wonder at you knowing any, may further reflect on Austin's opinion regarding music as an accomplishment, that superficial displays of skill are not as desirable as a genuine enjoyment of a musical pursuit. Later in Elizabeth's stay at Netherfield, we see more of music in a domestic setting, further reflecting its place in Regency England. Mr Darcy applies to Miss Bingley and Elizabeth for an indulgence in some music, and once Miss Bingley starts playing, he asks Elizabeth to dance. This further shows music as important in the time period in terms of courtship rituals, as dancing was one of the main ways that young couples could become further acquainted with each other. Elizabeth believes that Darcy just wants to have the pleasure of despising her taste, either suggesting that she imagines him looking down on dancing as a whole, or that she thinks he's looking down on dancing to a reel specifically, and therefore judging her taste in music. funniest passages in Pride and Prejudice concerning music is the one spoken by Lady Catherine de Bourgh in chapter 31. Elizabeth and Colonel Fitzwilliam are discussing music together when Lady Catherine demands them to tell her what they're talking about. When they say they're talking of music, she says, It is of all subjects my delight. I must have my share in the conversation if you are speaking of music. There are few people in England, I suppose, who have a more true enjoyment of music than myself, or a better natural taste. If I had ever learnt, I would have been a great proficient. And so would Anne. Such a sweeping statement reveals the ridiculous extent of her self-importance, and maybe I'm reading too much into it but it seems to also give credence to this kind of gross belief in birth and pedigree that makes her assume that because of her class status and family lineage she's naturally disposed to taste and elegance. There is of course also an obvious degree of hypocrisy in Lady Catherine's speech. In the previous chapter, Lady Catherine also seems to interview Elizabeth about herself and her family. When she learns that only two of the five Bennet sisters play and sing, she replies, Why did not you all learn? You ought all to have learned. We see here, therefore, that she places herself above others by comparing her hypothetical, non-existent skills with Elizabeth's actual skills. It's like she's saying, 
you're not good at music and I'm better than you because if I did do music, I would have been great. It's just so ridiculous. But not only this, she also judges other families for not doing things that she hasn't done herself. So she judges the Bennets for not ensuring that all the daughters learn to play piano and sing. Well, she herself has never learnt to play and sing and she never made Anne play and sing. I think an element of this comes from the fact that Lady Catherine assumes her daughter Anne will marry Mr Darcy, so she seems to believe that she doesn't need to hold the same accomplishments as other ladies who are in pursuit of marriage. Lady Catherine's speech also seems to imitate an earlier one spoken by Mr Collins at the Netherfield Ball. He says, If I were so fortunate as to be able to sing... I should have great pleasure, I am sure, in obliging the company with an air, for I consider music as a very innocent diversion and perfectly compatible with the profession of a clergyman. I do not mean, however, to assert that we can be justified in devoting too much time to music, for there are certainly other things to be attended to. He then goes on to list the duties of a clergyman in a lengthy speech that is spoken so loud as to be heard by half the room. I think that these similar speeches by Mr Collins and Lady Catherine are intentional. They are considered almost as a pair throughout the novel, Two sides of the same coin, with one delighting in being domineering and the other being so pleased to be dominated. By having Lady Catherine echo Collins's earlier words, their mutual ridiculousness is emphasised and Collins's speech could be revealed to be just him parroting Lady Catherine's opinions as he does many times throughout the novel. Lady Catherine then goes on to say to Darcy about his sister Georgiana, Pray tell her from me that she cannot expect to excel if she does not practice a good deal. I find this funny because anyone who has ever played a musical instrument to any extent at all knows this, and it seems to be said with emphasis that the advice is coming from her and therefore is more important and original somehow. Other conversations about music also occur during Elizabeth's stay at Rosings. There's a time where she's playing the piano for the group and Darcy goes to stand by the instrument and she says, You mean to frighten me by coming in all this state to hear me? I will not be alarmed, though your sister does play so well. We know that during this period of the story, while Elizabeth dislikes Darcy and believes that the feeling is mutual, Darcy is falling in love with her and is preparing to propose. This passage indicates Elizabeth's misunderstanding of Darcy's character. In a further discussion of Darcy's behaviour in Hertfordshire, he claims that he has not the talent which some people possess of conversing easily with those people I have never seen before. Elizabeth then compares his social struggles to her less than stellar performance on the piano. My fingers, said Elizabeth, do not move over this instrument in the masterly manner which I see many women's do. They have not the same force or rapidity and do not produce the same expression, but then I have always supposed it to be my own fault because I would not take the trouble of practising. It's not that I do not believe my fingers as capable as any other woman's of superior execution. This passage where Elizabeth uses music as a metaphor for Darcy's difficulty in interacting with strangers strikes me, to be honest, as quite unfair. I think that it further illuminates her state of mind during this stage of the novel. She's being uncharitable in her assumptions about his character and she puts his struggle down to laziness rather than genuine difficulty. The difference in their state of minds in this passage is further highlighted by Darcy's reply. You are perfectly right. You have employed your time much better. 
No one admitted to the privilege of hearing you can think anything wanting. We neither of us perform to strangers. Here, he's basically saying that he enjoys her performance even if it's not excellent, technically. And by saying, we neither of us perform to strangers, he also seems to be saying that neither of them put on a facade for others and he is drawing a similarity between them, creating a sort of intimacy. I've had so much fun going over the text today. I found when compiling notes for this episode, I kept getting distracted because every time I picked up my copy to find a passage or a quote, I just couldn't help but reading on. So it took me a lot longer than planned. Next episode, we're going to be discussing music in film and TV adaptations of Pride and Prejudice, as well as other music inspired by the works of Jane Austen. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Florence Wood, and this has been The Sound of Pride and Prejudice by Verse and Verse, with music by Lewis Wood, who you can find on Bandcamp. If you have any thoughts or feelings, I'd love to hear them. You can reach me on Instagram at Verse and Verse Podcast or email verseandversepodcast at gmail.com. I'd really appreciate it if you could follow and leave a review and rating wherever you're listening. It's a great way to help get this podcast reaching more people. Thanks so much, and I hope you'll tune in for the next episode.